Well, hello and welcome. This is episode four of Jobber's Court. I am the Rasquatch, the king of Jobber's Court, and I am joined, as always, by the man of 1,724 nicknames, uh, Hulkstanding, Hulkamania, the Hulkbreak Kid, and then uh, I'm also joined today by Cedric, the wise owl of professional wrestling, or just the wise owl of wrestling, or woo And uh, finally, our uh, a new guest that we have today is, uh, I'm going to call him Funny Man Patrick, PB, or Peanut Butter Patrick, whatever you want to call the guy, but he's a world-renowned comedian here in the St. Louis area. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, Patrick? Well, my name is Patrick Brandmeyer. I'm from Belleville, Illinois, which is exactly as exciting as it sounds. Been a wrestling fan since about mid-1991, and I'd probably say the first big event I saw was SummerSlam 91 with Bret Hart and Mr. Perfect. That was probably the match that got me hooked, and the storyline that got me hooked was probably Macho Man and Jake the Snake. Uh, yeah, absolutely, and I know I talked in the very first episode that for me, too, once I saw uh, Macho Man... Jake the Snake and I watched that Cobra bite Macho Man on on television. I was hooked. I couldn't I couldn't turn away from wrestling from from that that point forward. So it's funny I don't that think that snake's been devenomized. Yeah, I don't think that snake's been devenomized. But uh, yeah, I think that, that that's a that's a good one. And I think that if, if you saw that, it, I think it really made an impression on you, um, no matter who you are. But uh, today we are going to be covering three topics, like always. Some good stuff for you today. The first thing that that we're going to be talking about is going to be the impact of indie wrestlers and the, kind of the indie scene on mainstream TV wrestling products that we see today. And then we're going to talk about uh, what makes a great tag team uh, as it's going to lead into a, a bunch of different tag teams that we're going to be going over here show after show. But for today, our first fantasy matchup for tag teams is going to be the Young Bucks versus the Midnight Rockers, or just the Rockers, if you can't find who they are. Cedric, I'm looking at you. And uh, <laughs> so, should be a uh, should be a great conversation. I look forward to uh, hearing your guys' thoughts. So, Patrick, as the guest, um, why don't you go ahead and start us off with your thoughts on independent wrestlers and the independent wrestling scene and how you think it's affected mainstream pro wrestling. Well, I think it's a natural progression from the days of wrestlers being brought from the territories into the into the World Wrestling Federation or even the NWA to a lesser extent. I mean, and when you see those wrestlers advance to the national stage, a lot of aspects of their style follow them. And, I mean, in the 90s, we saw how ECW affected both the WWF and WCW during the Monday Night Wars. A lot of aspects of ECW made their way to the national stage in some regard. So, and nowadays you're seeing so many people make it to that level that five or ten years ago you probably wouldn't have expected on, on national television. You're seeing like AJ Styles show up in WWE. You're seeing any number of people, Sami Zayn, Kevin Owens, guys that not that long ago, probably wouldn't have gotten a second look for a variety of reasons. So, and I think part of that is the influence of Triple H, whether you, whatever you think of his on-screen character or whatever you think about 
whatever the rumor mill says about him behind the scenes, it seems like he's genuinely a fan of a lot of different aspects of wrestling, and he does his best to try to incorporate that into the product, whether it's NXT or certain talent decisions on the main roster. Yeah, that's great. I, I agree uh, for sure, especially I think I think Triple H's big thing is that he – I think he sees wrestling as for what it is. Each person's different. Each style is different. Whereas the the normal WWE entertainment style, they sort of try to take the people and plug them into positions instead of allowing the people to form their own position within the company. Um, Cedric, what do you think? Well, first of all, welcome to to Patrick. Um, yep, I love. I love everything he said. It was, and that was a pretty strong, strong word. But honestly, he touched a few things that I, I was thinking about and I, I probably was going to say. So I'm going to kind of try to piggyback some of his thoughts and, and then put a, a, a spin that the, only the wise old owl can do. I, I agree with him. You know, if, if really Triple H is the one calling some shots um, in the WWE right now, then definitely I'm, I'm, I can't wait till he actually takes full control. But be careful what you wish for, right? <laughs> um, I, I read somewhere where at the end of the day, still, Mr. Man makes those final, final calls regardless of if we're talking WWE or the actual NXT portion of it, and that's something that some folks have confused. But that's a whole different topic. Um, the independent wrestler, and I'm going to use Kevin Owens as an example, when they're in, in the indie circuit, and even companies, not so much indie circuits, but not WWE. They they are given the freedom to sell to us what they bring to the table, what they are best at. Some of them are better cutting promos, others are better the lucha style wrestling, that are high flying. Some guys are strong style. They and some of these companies they they'll they'll use that. That's that's what they they sell us. And based on the region, based on the type of fans that they are selling this product to, you know you you can see the difference between. Someone in the WWE that might not like the whole fly style, they like more, I sometimes call it the watered down version of a indie wrestler when they finally make it to the major, uh, major uh, roster or main roster versus when they're in the indie circuit. Um, in the indie circuit, they interact much more with the crowd. We saw that in Kevin Owens in the Royal Rumble when he did his whole putting the chairs a certain way, just relaxing waiting for Dean Ambrose or talking to the commentators or just, or just yelling at Dean Ambrose, hey, I hate you. So that's a, that's a style that was very is very common in the indie where the fan almost becomes that fourth person in the ring. You have the two wrestlers if it's individual and the ref, and then the, the fan is also part of it. So we're starting to see that a little bit more in the main roster because we can definitely see it during NXT, especially when they went overseas, when they were in and England, you could definitely see how the wrestlers played off of the fans and vice versa. So I think it's really important. And we're, all, we're starting to see these younger, or not so young, but smaller, lesser build, but more athletic type of wrestler coming from the NXT. And it kind of gives a little bit faster pace in the ring. I'm pretty sure it's a, a, a game a computer gamer programmer's worst nightmare because mm-hmm. you only have so many buttons on the controller to have these many movesets, but it's it's definitely different. And is I know it's not appreciated by all, but definitely appreciated by me. Well, I think talking about kind of what, what you're getting into, I think that 
honestly, today's product could slow down a little, to be honest. Uh, I think they move so fast that sometimes, you know, it, it is hard to sort of tell the story because they're, they're going 200, 200 miles an hour. And so when we talked on the, the last podcast, I talked about how the, the Divas matches, although a little bit slower, the ones that they've been putting out there have had more of an old school feel. You do see a few of the, uh, few of the holds and that actually being applied and, and that in, in those matches. And there seems to be a little bit better psychology, um, as of late in those types of things. And I think that guys like Owens and that move at a, at a perfect pace. They're not too fast, not too slow. Um, and I think that that's sort of what, what sets them apart, uh, right now from some of the other people's, the, the pace that they're willing to work at, uh, Dr. Haukenstein, how about you? What do you have? Uh, well, I also want to uh, say welcome to Patrick. And he's got a very good point, and I'm going to piggyback off that, uh, so to speak, uh, when he was talking about the territories. And one thing I really like about wrestling today versus, you know, probably 10, 15 years ago is that with the beauty of social media, uh, YouTube, and just the Internet in general, you don't necessarily need a TV deal uh, to get seen. Uh, and that's what I really like about some of the indies, is that I'm up here in the middle of Alaska, where the closest indie promotion is a 10-hour drive during the summer. Uh, so I really don't have the ability to go out and see a lot of these cool shows, but thanks to the Internet, I've... I can see people like stuff on PWG or Evolve uh, or some of these other brands, uh, 2CW, you know, where they're just in a high school gym, but they have a, a video camera and they can put it online. One thing that I think sets apart the indies from the mainstream, obviously the money and the production value is one. Um, but two, with the indies, you have a lot of guys that are cutting their teeth, brand new, who don't know really anything and you have a lot of other guys who have been doing this for 10, 15 years, and they have their uh, they have their craft honed, and they know what their specific audience likes. Uh, so you have some brands that are filled with high flying flippy shit, where it's basically just high spot after high spot with no real technical wrestling or chain wrestling, but that's what the fans like, so that's what the fans are going to get. And other places like uh, like Memphis wrestling, you have real slowed down. Um, a lot of headlocks, a lot of working holds, and then a few little eye pokes or funny stuff in the middle because that's what the fans like. And that's what I really enjoy about the indies is that no matter where you go, no matter what your your niche is, you can find it if you look hard enough. Uh, and as far as indie stars going up to the main roster, uh, Kevin Steen and uh, Seth Rollins and AJ Styles are all perfect examples of how an independent guy who's never really – broke out of his local community can be a huge guy. Uh, you know, probably five, eight years ago, Seth Rollins was just a fan and breaking into the industry. And uh, now he's the top heel in the company, arguably. Uh, same with Kevin Owens. You know, he cut his teeth in ROH and PWG and a few other indies around the country, uh, making his name known as what he does. And one thing I really like about him is that he really hasn't changed much uh coming up to the main roster, whereas uh, Seth Rollins, he was formerly known as Tyler Black, he's definitely had to tone down his style. It doesn't do as much as the high-flying or flippy stuff. He he still does it every now and then, but he's he's more well-rounded performer, and he's slowed down a lot, and I really think that's a credit to him 
Uh, AJ Styles, obviously, we're still learning what WWE has for him and what they want for him to do. Um, but right off the bat, thanks to his work in Japan, just about everyone already knows who he is. And, you know, even casual fans uh, who have never seen probably ROH or maybe even TNA or New Japan uh, kind of know what he is by the way that the commentary is selling him. So uh, that's my hope, two cents on Indie Stars coming in, you know. Uh, there's a lot there. You just have to showcase it. Yeah, I think for me the the biggest thing is for years and years and years there was this big, big stigma about independent wrestlers. When it, at least when it came to WWF, WWE, they they didn't really like to bring in guys who weren't homegrown products. Um, what I find interesting is uh, Cedric was talking about how a lot of the guys are getting smaller and smaller, and they're just getting better workers overall. And I think. Part of that is that the audience is smarter. The audience is a lot smarter nowadays than, than I think they were um, back in the day. Be- a lot of lot of it has to do with social media, the internet, like all these things. Um, you know, it's not like in 1985 you could go hop on the internet and just just read a dirt sheet. You know, so um, I think that because of that, they have to get guys that can work, guys that know how to wrestle, um, guys that don't. I mean, you saw, like, with the great Kali, the, the You Can't Wrestle chants are going to be, you know, all over the place uh, when guys like that are out there. Fifteen years ago, even in the early 2000s, a guy like that could still kind of find a place in a, in a big company. Um, and then if you go back even further into, like, the late 80s and early 90s, that was kind of a niche for one or two guys in, in each company. Nowadays, there's really no need for that. Um, it's kind of interesting because you... You try to think about, you know, where these, I mean, technically, as you get into the late 80s, all guys were sort of independent guys because of the the territories known. There wasn't this one big company. There were all these different places you could have went. So, really, I just, I sort of look at the indie wrestlers and and say, okay, these are the guys who I think you you can use to build a company because they're self-made stars who have already been working on a gimmick, who have it down who understand like who their character is, what they're supposed to be. So when they come in, you you know, the first thing you shouldn't do is go to change their gimmick. And you'll see really the last few guys who have really came in haven't had to change their gimmick too much as far as in WWE style. Um, they haven't really had to change their gimmick too much. It's mostly just been changing their style, having to be more entertaining um, and, and work more of the entertainment style as opposed to what they were working before. And, it, and it's still a hard transition for anyone to make, but I look at this as being sort of progress, and it reminds me a lot in a ways of when wrestling transitioned in the mid-90s from the big giant steroided monsters to Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart, you know, being the the forerunners of, of the business, and a lot of that happened just because the, the business had to change, and they, they went away from this model of giant guys to these smaller wrestlers that could just really put on a great match. I think we're just sort of seeing that coming around again. I think there was kind of a lull in the business in that where in the mainstream TV product there weren't as many guys that could work. And now you're seeing these guys who can really work and they're they're super entertaining. So as bad as people say it is, I think it's it's still a pretty good uh, pretty good time in wrestling. We probably have the best athletes of any time period ever in wrestling history.
Yeah, I mean, in WWE, I mean, the in-ring product is about as good as it's as it's been at just about any point in its history. You look at the sheer amount of talent on the payroll, both in terms of WWE and NXT, and it's kind of hard to put it into words as far as how much TV time they have and how, how best that they put it to use. I mean... You see a lot of the same people in the spotlight on Monday Night Raw or wherever, and and I think that's part of the frustration that that uh, they maybe don't show enough variety on Monday nights as they could, and that they have a lot of people on the roster who just flat out aren't aren't doing anything. And I realize it's not always an easy thing to manage so many different wrestlers at one time, but. But when you have that much TV time available to you, and most of the people I talk to about Raw have the same complaint that three hours is just too long of a show, that you get burned out on that mu- on that long of a show. And I just don't know if they're managing their time as well as they could, I guess. Yeah, I, I can see that too. And we talked about that, I know, on a, on a previous episode. And I still would just... Love to see the first hour of Raw instead be NXT TV, and then it leads right into the the two hours of Raw. That's same company, a little bit different style of product, but we'd see these kind of up and coming, either that or established stars that are helping out the young guys on that particular program. It'd be a little branch off of it, of its own, but right now it's a it's a, a great product that's doing really well on Wednesday nights on the network. So I don't know. One of those things where I think I think if you're going to have a three-hour show, I think the the biggest issue I have isn't isn't the in-ring performers. It's the fact that it's the same people booked every week to wrestle each other. It's it's almost like they're they're trapped back in the I guess in the 80s when they would travel around and they would go all over the country and it'd be the same two guys and they'd wrestle the same match all over the country. The problem is is those weren't shown on TV every single week. You could work programs like that where guys could work together because the guys in Seattle hadn't seen, you know, they, they haven't seen this match in San Francisco. So if they were traveling down the road and doing all these different places, they, they weren't seeing the exact same matches. But instead what's happening is that same thing. They're getting booked to wrestle in every single venue, but we've seen it. We've seen it, you know, a hundred times it seems like with a, with a lot of these guys. I don't know. Do you guys uh, have anything else? One thing I wanted to comment quickly, um, when we, when I was discussing about the, the faster pace and whatnot that you, that you mentioned what you had mentioned in the previous podcast about the slowing down, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'll give you an example. On, on TNA, I, I've seen fights, well, this is like early TNA, not so much now, when the X Division was just the smaller characters. You know, before the Samoa Joe came out and said, you know what, I too can be an X Division, um, contender and champion. But when they had the smaller folks, I agree with you. There were times that it was so fast-paced that it was just a whole bunch of set of moves without really saying anything. Like, there was no story, just very fast-paced moves, and that's it. Just a whole bunch of moves strung together. Um, when when I talk about the independent um, wrestler coming in, that's not really what I want to see. I don't want to just see somebody just flying from one corner to the other and not really being able to tell the quote-unquote story with their moves I, I would like i would like for, to see them pace themselves a, a tad bit because obviously i don't want as a fan i really don't like when when somebody's starting to come up 
and, and make it big with the fans. And next thing you know, an injury sidelines them for three, four, six months, nine months, or whatever it is. Look, just thinking about Daniel Bryan, how long he's been out. But I, I don't like so much when a wrestler's pre, pretty much taken out completely from this persona that he's created for the past two, three, four, ten, twelve years in the indie circuit. And when they come to the main roster, they want or to the WWE in general, they just get completely changed. So I, I, I want to just make that distinction. You know, I, I don't want a person to completely be changed to someone that they are not. And then all of a sudden, the more casual fan says, oh, so-and-so couldn't cut it. No, it's not that he couldn't cut it or she couldn't cut it. It's just that when you are turned to someone who you are not and then you're trying, you're being forced to sell that to the fan, then that's where I think it, it becomes difficult. That's why I, I agree with um, Hawk Standing when he says, you know, Kevin Owens, Kevin Steen, he has kept that persona of who he was. Seth Rollins is one of those guys that was able to tweak but still every now and then give us flashes of Tyler Black from Ring of Honor. And AJ Styles has kept his name. He's keeping names of some of his moves. And I like that most fans realize, hey, maybe he's new to the WWE, but this is a veteran. This is someone who's gone around the world and, and been champion in numerous companies. And he has already put a stamp on the, on the wrestling world enters in the wrestling history. This is just a, a bonus for us to see him now in the WWE, and it's going to be a delight for the casual fans if he's booked correctly against the right people and he's not meant, made to change who he has established himself to be as the phenomenal one. And I think that's another thing that's changed about wrestling nowadays. WWE is a lot more willing to acknowledge the outside world, as it were, I mean, other than TNA, they kind of go out of their way to not mention TNA, but but they're more willing to acknowledge Japanese wrestling, Lucha Libre, Ring of Honor on some level. And and you see them bring in people like like AJ Styles, like Shinsuke Nakamura, and people who have made a name outside of WWE and that's something that's kind of tripped up WWE in the past that they have some some sort of issue with using or even or pushing people that weren't as you said weren't made by them i mean that's something that kind of befell vader in the 90s and the WWF but we're seeing a lot of guys and Finn Balor is another great example of somebody who made a big name outside of the company and was brought in with a lot of fanfare and they've they become a big deal in that regard. So I think, uh, I think, and the WWE website does a much better job of acknowledging the outside world. And I think that's beneficial that they're not treating the fans like these are total newcomers and not insulting the intelligence of the fans like they perhaps once did. Cause I like that you say that because I remember when Daniel Bryan was being treated like this newbie in the storyline. And only once in one episode, he said, hey, you guys treat Daniel Bryan like this. But I remember this kid named Brian Danielson, and they were actually showing footage of him in other organizations with other titles. And he was like, Brian Danielson is not a rookie. He's been this long. He's he's accomplished all this. So I agree with you that it, it is nice that they're starting to acknowledge other companies as, hey, you know what? We're not the only ones around. These guys have had fame in other parts of the U.S. and other parts of the country, so I agree with you.
Yeah, well, look what they did with Loki, you know. I mean, when he came in as Caval, as, as, as Caval I mean, they, it was kind of embarrassing to have seen what ended up happening with him. Um, to me, I think I think gimmicks are, are kind of dying in wrestling. Um, I think a lot of it now, it's not so much about a gimmick. It's about being more yourself, just changing your name. And, and you have a character, but you don't necessarily have a gimmick. You don't have the hockey player you know, that was kicked out of the, the NHL and now has to wrestle. You don't, you don't have the Ugandan giant, some guy who's supposed to be, you know, a complete savage from Africa. You know, you just, I, you don't have those, those gimmicks, at least, you know, not, not in the mainstream TV stuff. There, there's still a place for it, but I, I don't know. I, in some ways, I miss gimmicks, especially since I know it's a, uh, since I, I know it's a work anyway, but, um, sometimes it took away from the seriousness of, of what we could see it as a business. But um, at least in the, the comments of, uh, of Cedric and, and Patrick, Alk, uh, do you have anything to, to follow up or any other comments? Yeah, I got uh, one more thing just about the, uh, the Indy Star, and uh, I hope I don't get too much hostility get it from uh from all six of our fans out there and and uh in the listening world uh but i'm gonna name two independent wrestlers and uh my views on them as far as potential to make it to the big time to make it to that wwe and uh, this is obviously arguably so uh but the two guys uh i'm listing first is uh, ar fox you guys know who he is mm-hmm. yep uh well um very very athletic guy um very, very good at his craft, uh, but he's one of those guys that I personally don't think I could ever see make it to the big time. And the main reason I say this, and I've watched quite a few of his matches, uh, he actually owns the WWA4 school in Atlanta now, uh, but he's still touring around quite a bit. But the biggest thing I don't, I don't like about him is that, yes, he is very flashy. Yes, he is very athletic, and he can do just about any move you see in there. But majority of the matches I've seen him, there's no story. It's just high spot to high spot, and there's nothing really in between. Um, and as a as a fan of, I guess, more old school chain wrestling type, uh, I just I, I can't get into it as much as I can with some of the other guys. And the other guy I'm going to name, and a guy who I do think probably could make it, is uh, is Ricochet or Prince Puma. He's also known for the for the high-flying, fast action. He's probably one of the few guys I've ever seen perform a double moonsault, which is incredible. Um, but watching some of his stuff in Lucha Underground, he's getting really, really good at telling a story in the ring and a lot better at uh, at his transitions, his working holds in between moves. And uh, I think he's really getting the ring psychology of it down. And that's probably one of the big things I see uh, that indie stars are lacking um, from stuff I've seen is the ring psychology. Why are you in the match? And uh, I think that that would be my advice as a fan looking forward. Obviously, I don't have any wrestling experience, uh, and they know a hell of a lot more about the business than I do. But as, as a fan, that's just my two cents on uh, on indie guys looking to make it big. See, I, I kind of think the opposite. I think a lot of the, at least the indie shows that I've seen, they use a lot of psychology but what they don't what they don't do is they don't really know how to use mic work, um, and so a lot of the guys there's there's one or two guys maybe that are there the whole time that can that can actually talk, you know, really well on the mic. And I think that a lot of times when when I see it, I, I really like the the indie wrestling because a lot of times that's all they have. The only way they can communicate is 
is through their psychology and their their ability to to wrestle through the match. Um, I watched a a match not that long ago where the guy decided to just wrestle blindfolded. You know, like, well, why, why would he do why would he do that? He's going up against this guy who's this gigantic Viking guy, and he's this little martial arts guy, and he's going to wrestle blindfolded. And yes, is that WWA four? It was not. Um, oh, okay, I, mean, I think I've seen both of those guys there. Um, but I was going to say that it was uh, what was it? It was one of the. It was one of the Vikings, uh, Viking War Party guys. I think it was Alexander Rudolph, I think. I, and I don't remember the other guy's name, but I know his, his whole thing was he's a legit martial artist and all that. But yeah, he blindfolded himself, and he, he stood in the ring, and he wrestled with this, this blindfold on. And yeah, he lost, but um, it was one of those things where you're like, you know, he got, he got some shots in, and he was getting a few moves here and there. He was able to feel his way across the ring. But to me, it just said that, you know, this guy cared more about, you know, Showing everyone that he didn't even need his his eyesight to be competitive, and if he if he didn't have his blindfold on, who knows what he could have done? But just little little things like that that I look at in a match. Like the guy didn't care about the win loss record. He didn't care about winning or losing. He was in there to prove a point, um, and that's psychology. And I, I I like things like that in a match. And it, even though the guy lost, is something you're never going to forget. And you're like, man, even though that guy got beat, it was it was still pretty awesome. He decided to wrestle blindfolded. Yeah, something you mentioned earlier. Um... Loki kind of came along in WWE probably a couple years too early. I think that if he would have come along in the current environment, I think he would have done a whole lot better. I mean, I think they'd be a little more accepting of him. And what you mentioned about telling stories in wrestling, I mean, I'm a big fan of independent wrestling, but pretty much my all-time favorite wrestler is Bret Hart. So Me too. So I'm a big fan of being able to tell a story in the match like my like the WrestleMania matches with Piper, with Owen, people like that, that told a really good story. That, and, and it has kind of fallen by the wayside in some regards. And to the point where it's, I, I definitely appreciate it when it does happen. So those are just a couple of things I wanted to throw out there that if Loki or Caval, however you want to call him, came along in WWE more recently that, I think he would probably have made a whole lot more of an impact and probably would have stuck it out a little bit longer. Yeah, I, I knew there was a reason I was going to have Patrick on this show because he, he seems to agree with everything that I have to say. Mm-hmm. That, 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 that's why. That, <laughs> okay, <laughs> outstanding. we got to pair up a little bit. <laughs> well, I'll say this. Uh, oh, go he's supposed to be a comedian, but he's, he's got some very serious points here. Yeah, very serious. We're getting, wrestling's a serious thing for, at least for me it is, and obviously we're, we're all very passionate about it. We can look back at some of the things and, and laugh, but at the end of the day when we start talking about these things that, that gen up like memories of, you know, of us, it's, it's a part of our lives. So yeah, it's, it's one of those things to where I think that just, you know, the ability for us to get together and, and do these type of things, that's what, that's what makes us so great. But it's still think, real to me. It's still real to me, damn it. But, uh, I, th- I think we've talked about this subject uh, for a pretty decent amount of time, so we're going to move on to our second subject today, which is going to lead into our third subject. But I want to know your guys' opinions on what makes a great tag team. Um, do you think that it's having two guys that are that are different styles that work together? Is it two guys that are of the same style that work in tandem? Um, is it the teamwork? Is it the, the chemistry? What, what exactly would you guys say makes a great tag team? Uh, Hulkster, why don't you start us out? All right. Well, uh, you hit the nail right on the head with chemistry. 
to me, that is what makes uh, a good tag team a good tag team. The ability to work together and to make a fluid match and to be entertaining. I don't think you necessarily need uh, similar styles or similar gimmicks. Um, some guys probably weren't a fan of it, but I was actually a big fan of the, the team Hell No with Kane and Daniel Bryan. You know, two complete polar opposites in just about everything. But they worked really, really well together. Uh, another example is uh, Big Cass and Enzo down in NXT. You know, uh, one's a real small, super scrappy guy, and the other's a seven-foot-tall brawler. Uh, and they work they work really, really well together. They have great chemistry. They feed off of each other. And uh, that's, to me, the biggest thing. you gotta, you got to be on the same page. Uh, watching uh, some of the older interviews on WWE.com uh, and even the countdown. I don't know if you guys still watch that, but the tag team countdown, they, they put it really well. A good tag team, they don't necessarily have to be best friends outside of the ring, but they should travel together and they should know everything about each other so that in the ring they're, they're in sync. Sure. Um, I think chemistry is, is one of those things that, that you have to have and you can always pair two fantastic wrestlers together, but if they don't have chemistry, they're they're just not going to be as good as a team. And that's why when we talked last week about this whole, you know, Mar- Mark Henry, Jack Swagger, and then the uh, the Darren Young and uh, Damian Sandow pairing, uh, it just it doesn't make any sense to me when you put them in there with two legit tag teams and then somehow Henry and them still manage to win because it shouldn't shouldn't happen that way with a team like the Dudleys have been together for almost twenty years. Anyway, uh, Cedric, how about you? What do you think the most important aspect of a tag team is? I think, like, like Hawk Standing said, you know, in in, in yourself said, that, like, the chemistry between two between two individuals. Because uh, an example for me would be like the Hart Foundation. Um, most people will, I would think, agree. You had a super technical wrestler in Bret Hart, and then you had the muscle in Jim DeAnvil mm-hmm. Neidhart. He, there wasn't no technical. <laughs> it wasn't very technical for him. He was like the thing, um, anvil, hit, smash, you're done. But but Bret Hart, he would string different moves together. But then when they were working as a as a team, those five ten seconds whatever they that they would have officially in the ring working together, you would see like the the double arm throw or just the finishing move. That's a big thing for me as well. I, I've always appreciated when you see a tag team. And their moves in the ring when they're both together makes sense. It's almost on cue. I was watching a fight today between the Young Bucks versus the Motor City Machine Guns. And one thing that one of the commentators said was, I think it was Taz. He's like, look at the way Saban just looks at Alex Riley. And no words were exchanged. But just with that look, he knew, okay, put your foot up. I'm going to smash his head against your right foot. Or come in. We're gonna do a, a series of jumps over this guy before we end up with with a, a double moon sort of or a double splash or whatnot. To me, that's where the chemistry comes from. He, I like how Stanley brought up how team hell no. They were a good tag team, you know, and they definitely sold what they were trying to portray these two odd couples that could not mesh, but yet some way somehow they were still winning. But I still appreciate more when you have that team that even if they don't like each, each other outside of the ring, which obviously liking each other will be a plus but inside the ring it almost seems like they know each other in and out they know when the tag should come they know when the move should be executed and if and it flows it doesn't look like two individuals trying to 
one up each other. It looks like two individuals working as one with one one goal in mind, which is to be the best tag team and and obviously hold the tag belts of the company they represent. Patrick, what do you think? Well, I think it applies different ways with different people because, I mean, you see so many successful tag teams that, I mean, that that work well together for different reasons. I mean, you look at the Hart Foundation where you have the technical style of Bret Hart working together with the sheer power of Jim the Anvil Neidhart. You have the the Rockers who were very similar in style. You have Hell No who are two totally different people. I think it's a matter of just each member of the tag team knowing each other well and knowing how to feed their mesh their repertoire with the other guys so that it so that it flows well together within the context of the match. And you look at like the Rock and Roll Express and the Midnight Express, one of the great tag team rivalries. Those are an example of two tag teams who just knew each other so well, knew how to work off each other on some level. And I think it is just a matter of knowing your partner and knowing tag team wrestling on some level because you see some people who are successful with other partners go on to team with someone else and that tag team knowledge is still there and they know how to, like I said, how to incorporate their style into that context in order to fit with whoever they're teaming with. So I think I think that is the big factor, just knowing your partner well enough to work your style together with his yeah, um, obviously each is basically, you know, combined teamwork and, and chemistry, which makes obviously complete sense. We're talking about tag teams. It's a team no matter what, you know, in, in what sport, whatever you're talking about, if more than one person has to accomplish something, it's, it has to be done through teamwork. I honestly believe that what makes a good tag team is their opponents, and I think you, you brought that up a little bit, Patrick, but I think that a tag team can still only be as good as the guys that they're working with because you have, instead of just a guy one-on-one and they're in the ring talking to each other, that guy's partner and the other guy's partner standing on the outside got to understand what's going on the whole time too. And that's why you see certain tag team rivalries and certain ones where they, they just instantly click and they know how to bring out the, the best in, in one another. I mean, unless you're working like a tag squash or something where it really doesn't matter, it's, I think it, a lot of it really depends on, on who you're working with. I'm a proprietor of styles. I love to see um, how, how styles mesh together and, and how they're able to use them. For instance, um, not a lot of people were huge fans, but I actually really like the headbangers, like back in the, you know, in the, the early 2000s, I think in late 90s. Um, but what I loved about it is they were so similar in style that it was like just a never-ending cycle of wrestling the same person, except for that person is fresh. So, you know, every time they tag, it's the same style. That guy tags in and you're still wrestling the same guy. So I could see that if, if I try to think of it from a psychology perspective and, and you're on the other end of the punishment that you're taking, you'd just be like a never-ending cycle. Or like if you were wrestling Demolition, those guys both did the same things. They had similar movesets. They, they just beat you up. And... It would just be like a buzzsaw, just over and over and over again. These guys are just beating you up, and they're never getting tired, and it's like just wrestling 
this is one big hulking wrestler that just continues to come in and out of the ring. So I've always been a proprietor of, of, of having similar styles just for, I think, the, the psychology of it. Although I, I would still probably tell you that the Hart Foundation is, is my favorite tag team of all time. But again, that, that's more a Bret Hart thing, I think, more so than, than anything else. Road Warriors is another great example in that regard of a two similar guys teaming up at the, yeah. the two big powerhouses. Sure. I think the only difference there, though, is that Hawk was definitely, like, mm-hmm. athletic, and he could still move, and he was fast, and he would do some power moves, but his power moves were also done with precision and speed. So you'd see him doing a lot more of the running style attacks and the, the running style offense, and then when you put Animal in there, Good Lord, like once Animal got in there, it's like you just, it's like there's nobody stronger than, than this guy when he gets in the ring. And so even, even them, I think, had a, they, they had a slightly, they had a slightly different style. Same premise, just, uh, just went about it slightly differently. I think Hawk was a lot smaller than Animal as well. So I, I always look at those guys as being unique because they, they both used power moves, but they used them very differently from one another. It's almost like the Steiner brothers. When they were before they became who they became as individuals, when they were just a tag team, you had, you know, Rick and Scott was big and bulky, but yet he was more precision, finesse kind of. Um, Rick, when he came in, you knew there was going to be some headbutts come going on, some power slams, some power moves. They both ex- executed power moves, but you knew that there was a difference between one and the other. But uh, I was I was going to say. I, I like the way you say um, the storytelling between both teams understanding. Uh, there was an era where te- tag teams were tag teams. Like now you see a lot of – you're starting to see more – some tag teams come around where it doesn't look so much as two individuals put together and let's see if they mesh. But I remember there was a time when I was a kid, you had the Rujos, you had the Killer Bees, the British Quebecers. Bulldogs, Bret Hart. You had um, so many – the even before the Wasamoans, oh, guys that seem, okay, similar styles, if they were to pursue individ- individually, they had similar styles, but it was like their whole goal was we want to be a tag team. You know, sometimes you hear a tag team talking about, well, we want to be heavyweight champions as individuals, but there was a time that it was almost like tag teams wanted to be tag teams. They wanted to be together, and that's what they were going for. Mm-hmm. And I was... I like in NXT, I like seeing some of these guys that are coming around that, yeah, they might not have a flashy name for the team, but you can see they mesh together and they're working together. And I think pretty soon, we, we or hopefully, we'll start seeing some actual tag teams coming up into the main roster. Because just like you mentioned earlier, and you've said before, we're starting to see the same guys competing against the same guys day in and day out. And it's starting to become a little bit stale. Sure. Yeah, I'm right there with you, and uh, I, I do like tag teams that are legit tag teams, and and their their whole goal is to to be a tag team and to work together. And uh, really, the only exception I think I've seen, and this is probably not the only exception, but as far as success in the tag team division, where you're not a true you and your your one partner are it, uh, and that's Goldust. Uh, just about everyone he's teamed with, and he's won tag team gold with probably at least eight or nine different people. Um, but everyone he's been in the ring with, he he finds some way to mesh with them, uh, and maybe not necessarily similar styles, but it's that odd couple pairing that seems to work out. Uh, and again, he's the exception, uh, I think, to, to the main consensus of what we're all trying to say. 
So I think, I think what you're saying, is, like with Goldust, he's a legitimate, like, just that great a tag wrestler that he can work with just about anybody as far as a teammate and, and be successful. Agreed. And uh, honestly, Dusty Rhodes, you could probably say the same thing about him, even though he was probably at his best when he was in singles com- competition. But uh, but don't rule out. I mean, he was a fantastic tag guy as well. I think, I don't know, I think, you know, you, you look at some of the tag teams that were built, you look at the Mega Powers and you look at, like, a, a lot of these tag teams, and I, and I like the Mega Powers, but we talked about, like, chemistry and teamwork and that earlier. You, you never got that feeling from them, usually. Like, when you would watch them wrestle, they were just both so good as far as the way that their characters were and the way that they were able to perform that nobody could beat them. But it, it, I don't think it was, like, a team like that, I don't think it was teamwork. Or even the Brothers of Destruction, to, to, to some degree, they don't necessarily always have the greatest chemistry with one another but they're just so good as individuals that it's really hard to beat them as a tag team. Yeah, Rock and Sock Connection's another one. Yeah, Rock and Sock, I agree. Uh, they definitely didn't, as characters, they had they had really nothing going the, the, the same direction at all. Um, but, yeah, for when, when they got out there and actually performed, I love the fact that, that Mankind would steal his moves and would put, like, different spins on, on the Rock stuff, and then, um, you know, that, that type of stuff was, was always entertaining. Um, but uh, does anyone have any anything else to cover on what what else they think makes great tag teams before we get into the uh, more fantasy matchups of the day? All right, cool. I think I said a helpful. You did absolutely. And that was punny, but not funny. See, ah, I slid that one in there today. That's <laughs> that's my joke. Damn it! Nobody be taking that. You didn't think of it. So. Um, the, the final part that we're going to cover today is uh, we've kind of decided to start kind of a pseudo tag team tournament. Today's going to be the first day of it. And what we kind of wanted to do is we wanted to take some uh, newer tag teams and then match them up with an older tag team that, that we felt had a similar style or a, a similar methods in the ring. Um, and you're going to be seeing these here week in and week out from us. But the, the first tag team that we're going to do today is uh, going to be the Young Bucks versus the Midnight Rockers. And uh, before we get into that, um, does someone want to take a minute, and for to people who may not know, could somebody kind of describe why we would pair these two tag teams together? Uh, I'll, I'll take this one. And uh, to me, I think this is a great matchup uh, because you have the Young Bucks who are – the, the rock and roll big stars, big superstars, don't give a, a poo kind of attitude. And you got the Midnight Rockers who were the uh, the party boys of the uh, of the late 80s and uh, maybe even early 90s. Uh, I'm not sure how long they actually stayed together or what year it was uh, when they broke up. Um, but very, very similar styles, both uh, kind of high-flying, athletic kind of guys. Um, but also they were both very small and wrestled guys and kept their own in one tag team gold against guys who are much bigger, much stronger, and uh, use their size and their agility to outsmart and uh, out-wrestle their competitors. All right, so uh, basically, you know, kind of a kind of a, a pretty boy tag team matchup, but also a a matchup between two teams that that could fly for their time. And granted, the the Rockers aren't flying around like the Young Bucks are, but for their time, 
they were definitely a, a high flying tag team. Um, so um, I guess starting this out, uh, let's try to talk about the sort of the the individuals in, involved. Um, you have Matt and Nick Jackson of the Young Bucks. What are your guys' thoughts on the Young Bucks as a tag team in general? Uh, Patrick, why don't you start us out? Well, I first saw them in, I believe, on Ring of Honor television back when they were still on HDNet, I believe. And at that time, they were pretty much the high-flying fan-favorite tag team. And that was what they were known for, those eye-popping aerial moves and and. Another team they've been compared to, obviously, is the Hardy Boys, so that's another comparison that they've had. But more recently, they're a little bit better known for turning and having that rule-breaker attitude, for being part of the Bullet Club and using those mannerisms. And they've kind of turned it into, I guess I'd, I'd call it meta, that they're aware of the the backlash they get from certain people who are more old school in philosophy, and they kind of go with that and are purposely flashier than they need to be in order to kind of fan the flames, so to speak. So, so, so they're almost like trolling the, the old school mindset. They almost try to put it out there and are purposely trying to piss those kind of people off. I would say that, yeah. And that's probably the main difference between them and the Rockers, that the Rockers were – if, as far as mainstream audiences are concerned, pretty much always the fan favorites, whereas the Bucks are nowadays probably better known as the, as the heels. So that'd probably be the main difference between them, though. Obviously, Shawn Michaels had his own stint as as a rule breaker. Hmm. And uh, how about you, Cedric? Do you have anything to add about about the Young Bucks and they bring as a tag team? Yeah, just just a, a tad bit. Like like, like Patrick was saying, um, it, it's funny he mentions that. The, their heel mentality or almost they're like going against the establishment. I was in preparation for today's podcast. I was looking at an interview they gave where they discussed their WWE tryout on the, on the NXT side or just, just a WWE tryout recent one. And they were so happy about the, the fact that they came in and breaking the, their code of dress, the dress code. Mm-hmm. They were so happy of, that they already had in mind what they were going to do and how they were going to do it, and and they they just found it like funny to to just be those guys and and for them they felt that's the way it should be, but I think what was it and not shaking hands they make a big deal out of that <laughs> shaking hands yeah, okay. yeah not, not shaking hands yeah or just with the right it's people fu- it's funny because according to them they were like yeah we didn't have time to say. Um, hi to other folks and shake hands because it was all about us and they were so in love with us and everything we're doing. But that that was their side of the of the story. <laughs> but to a certain point, I, I think one thing that I would say that might be a little bit um, more personal opinion and kind of different is the midnight the midnight <clears throat> express. They they were kind of to a certain point. Obviously, with none of the social media that we have nowadays, they were almost like the opposite of the establishment because you had those bigger guys slower and moving, more technical. Like today I was watching some AWA um, stuff mm-hmm. from the Midnight Express and I was like, wow, these guys for that time, they were the light, <laughs> they were moving light speed. And it's the, and sorry to interrupt, but it is the Midnight Rockers. You call I'm them, you, it's fine. Midnight Express. Yeah, you can, yeah, you yeah, can. So just, you're watching the wrong team, man. Yeah, I was going to say, you watch the wrong, no, no, did no. you study the wrong team? No, 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 no. Midnight, no, I'm just, I'm just picking on you. It, it was the Midnight Rockers. You, you, you know, could Midnight just say the Rockers, that would help you. 
the old owl sometimes, but <laughs> wise, but every now and then a little bit seen now. But anyway. Sure. Um, who? 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 Yeah, Stone Cold says what? I say who, because I just forget. But uh-huh. obviously, as you, as you can tell. But I was watching them, and they were fast for their time, just like Patrick said, you know. Now now they look a little bit speed is slower. It's almost like space balls. They went from light speed <laughs> to ludicrous speed when it comp- when you compare them to the young bucks. Sure. But I really I appreciated both both of them, you know, at, for their time and different different styles yet similar. That's the that's the, the the funny thing about them when you compare them, like you said, the rockers. Let's keep it simple. Were fast for their time. Now we got the young bucks, which are way too fast. And I think a really, to a certain degree, a really good example of what you were saying, many spots, but sometimes the story gets a little bit blurred. Not that they're not telling it, but it gets a little bit blurred more towards more how many aerial moves can they do. Sure. All right, uh, Hulkster, what do you think of the Young Bucks? All right, well, uh, I'm probably going to piss off every wrestling fan under the age of 25 by saying this. But I'm I'm really not a fan of the Young Bucks. Uh, I appreciate what they do, um, but Patrick really hit a lot on it. Um, they they fan the flames and they they know their their dislike for some of their style. And uh, I'll be on, one of the first people to admit that I'm I'm really just not a fan of some of their stuff. And uh, I watched about three or four of their matches earlier today, and they're gifted. They they're very entertaining, and uh, in a small audience. I think that they're probably arguably one of the best not in WWE. But I don't know, it's just it's almost too much for me. Uh and one of the big matches that I'll point out here is one of the matches I watched earlier today with uh those guys versus uh AR Fox and uh Delaney um, earlier today and the problem I had with the match in general is that yeah, they can do a lot of fantastic stuff. But it's just high spot to high spot, a lot of false finishes. Um, and like from, from the beginning of the bell with some of the moves that they pulled out, like that's, that's the kind of move you want to save for the very end of the match. And people are just getting up, not necessarily no selling it, but with the type of move that they're performing, it's a type of move that you're, you're going to expect a pinfall right out of it. Mm-hmm. And with so much of that going from bell to bell, it, it's just too much for me. And, um, some of their technical ability is really lacking. Um, I don't see a lot of uh, transitions. It's just, you know, big move to big move. Um, but they are very entertaining. Uh, they do have a lot of good ring psychology. It's just I, I think they're lacking some of the some of the fluidity uh, from spot to spot. And uh, really, I think the biggest things that I do like about them is uh, their spike pile driver. One guy jumps off the ropes mm-hmm. or coming from the apron to hit the pile driver. I really like that. I think that's probably one of their most devastating moves. But some of their other stuff, it, it doesn't really look real, I guess. And I think that's probably one of the biggest issues I have with them is that it's flashy, but it doesn't look like it hurts. Well, I can. you guys could probably tell already like how, how I'm going to feel based on my thoughts about these types of things in previous podcasts. But, okay, I, I have a couple things I agree with and a couple things I don't agree with. Number one... I would say five years ago that you could say the Young Bucks were nothing but basically a spot monkey team. Um, yes. but, I've, but I've seen them in the last maybe year, year and a half or so, and they have definitely developed a, a better style, a more technical style. 
but they also admit that they really are going to wrestle for who they're wrestling in front of. If, if the crowd is going to want all high spots, that's what they're going to use. If the crowd's going to want to see a little bit more technical stuff, that's what they're going to do. Um, and I've seen a few matches where they, they have used technical wrestling. The thing I definitely agree with, though, is the false finishes. I just watched a match where they did a spike tombstone pile driver on someone um, on a chair, and the person kicked out. Now, <laughs> that, that just, it just made me laugh. I was like, oh, this match is over, and then the person kicked out. And I said, okay, so either he has the weakest... Either he is the weakest pile driver anyone's ever seen, or this other person is just indestructible. And obviously the, the person wasn't indestructible. It's just, there, there's things like that. There, there's a way to do false finishes and, and a way to, to make things look good. But when you hit a move like that, you, you just got to understand that the, the fan, the, at least the hardcore fan in me, wants that person to just stay down because the moves aren't going to get any better than that. Um, Kevin Owens is guilty of that, though, too. Um, a different subject, but same kind of thing. He, there's a lot of moves that he does that, that people have a tendency to kick out of. Um, but uh, so maybe maybe that's just the the whole mindset and some of the the, the ways that they they choose to work. Um, I think with the with the young bucks, one thing you you also got to consider is their their teamwork is uh, is uncanny. I mean, obviously being being brothers, it, it, it helps a lot, and I think that's why they're compared a lot to the Hardys, although. Their styles are similar, but I think way, way different. The Hardys actually have two distinctive styles. Matt wrestles much different than Jeff, whereas Nick and Matt both wrestle basically the same. Um, so in this, as, as far as when it comes to comes to chemistry, teamwork, I think that they, they have that all put together. They're, they're very small. I think that they, you know, if you were talking another 20, 30 pounds, you, you might have a, you know, a tag team that, that I could see and as a legit threat, but otherwise they sort of just kind of give me that that Teddy Hart feeling where it's a a lot of a lot of great moves and a lot of things that'll make you go ooh and ah. But at the at the end of the day, I just I can't look at it. I I can't suspend my belief and and believe that they're they're you know really hurting someone because of the way their moves look. Um, so we covered them quickly. Now let's uh, let's cover the Midnight Rockers. Uh, throughout the panel and sort of what we thought of them through the little bit of studying we were able to do. Patrick, what's your what's your thoughts of the Rockers? Well, unfortunately, I didn't really see a whole lot of them. I, I started watching wrestling in mid-1991, so I kind of caught the tail end of their stint as a tag team. So, I mean, I was a fan of them when I first started watching, and, I mean, obviously they were both, they both had very similar styles at that point, both high-flying, both used the super kick in their own regards. and So I don't know if I'd be the best person to really speak on the Midnight Rockers. I, did they did they ever really have a heel stint? I think they may have an AWA, I'm not sure. No, no, they, they were always like white meat, baby face. Um, Marty Jannetty, and that's funny, I guess uh, I might as well talk about it now as I say that. It's funny because if you watch the AWA stuff, Marty Jannetty was clearly the star of that tag team. Um, and, and AWA was really pushing Marty Jannetty. And they did an interview with Marty, and they said, Hey, Marty, what, what's your plans for the future? It's him and Larry Zabisco. And, 
And Marty says, well, you know, everybody wants to win the world title. He's like, but I'll be the first to tell you I'm not ready for that yet. So what I want to do is I want to form a tag team, and, you know, and I want to be a tag team champion. And, and so he was sort of the one that, that was bringing Shawn Michaels along in the in the beginning when, the, when this whole tag team was formed. And I think when you initially saw them, you were like, man, that Marty Jannetty's going to be a star. And then it completely, you know, completely flipped on him. Um, but, uh, yeah, they, they, they never were heels. Okay, you had to wonder if Janetti didn't have his personal problems, whether or not he could have, I don't know if achieved the same sort of heights as Shawn Michaels, but at least been a major player in wrestling. I, I think so, because even if you watch his stuff as a singles wrestler in 93, when, when Raw was first debuting, they would have him on from time to time to come wrestle. And, like, I got to watch a match with him and Doink, and it was actually really amazing. Um, and for that time... I mean, those guys just just tore it down. They they wrestled for half the show, and they were so good. The following show, they wrestled again, and it was still a very good match. And I mean, Marty Jannetty could work, and and him and Sean against each other didn't have as as good a chemistry as they did as a tag team. But I think maybe where it's just the styles were so similar. But Marty Jannetty was a great counter wrestler, great technical wrestler. Guy could fly. I mean, he he had a total package, but he did have a lot of personal demons, which Shawn Michaels struggled with later down the road too. Absolutely, and I think uh, one thing we've seen out of both the Rockers and the Hardys in more recent years, like in comparison to the Bucks, is that they had time to develop themselves more as individuals, like you said that that Matt and Jeff Hardy developed distinctive styles from each other. And I guess to a lesser extent, Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty developed distinctive styles apart from each other. I mean, Shawn developed his game to where he could be an effective heel without popping the crowd with high-flying moves. I was saying Jannetty was never a heel. Not that I know of, not in the entire, like, time that he wrestled in the business had he ever been a... He just didn't have that in him. That just wasn't part of his, his personality, so... I think he was briefly a heel when him and Leaf Cassidy were the new rockers, but that's the most I can recall. Oh yeah, yeah, that's really that that's a good call. I forgot him and it was Al Snow, right? Leaf Cassidy right. saying yeah, okay. Yeah, I was say back when they when they had formed up the, the new rockers and man, that was just that was not a good tag team. <laughs> I wouldn't make this list, but you know, um Cedric, what watching through the, the bits that you were able to watch for the for the rockers, what are your thoughts about them? Well, discussing the the preface of Express, oh, I'm I'm sorry, I'm just joking. The, uh, <laughs> the midnight, I waited for I, it. <laughs> I did I did remember I did remember I was gonna keep it going, but you guys would have been like, "What if the world somebody knew?" <laughs> um, I, I like the way you, you presented the um, how depending on what organization or region they were wrestling for, what was standing out. Because of this on AWA, how Marty Jannetty was the one talking on the mic. Who he was the one that Sean, when he was in trouble, would tag in, and here comes his powerhouse, his fresh Marty Jannetty, just like destroying the, the opponent before they either one of them did a, a move and finished it. Because it wasn't so much the WWF flying double punch from the third rope that we were seeing. It was more whoever did either roll up or a super kick or whatnot. But then I went ahead and watched the same men in Rockers fighting. At a, at a uh, organization in southern, Me- southern Memphis, and then all of a sudden, the guy that was always talking and leading was Shawn Michaels. 
So you can almost tell that when they were starting to change from who's who's leading this team. And the one thing that uh, I also was surprised in seeing was what you had mentioned in a previous podcast, how long a match was, but yet effective. I think one of the matches, the commentator said this lasted less than two minutes, yet they told their story. We came in, we squashed this team, and we're out. And Marty Jannetty wasn't even tagged. The whole thing was from Michaels. He beat both guys pretty much. <laughs> the one thing that Marty Jannetty did from, was from the outside, Sean, Sean Irish whipped the guy towards Marty Jannetty, and while Marty Jannetty was in the outside, he, he clotheslined them, got him ready for a super kick from Shawn Michaels, and there was a three count. So uh, both pretty high flyers for their time and pretty quick compared to the more bigger, not so much mus- muscle-wise, but just bigger men from some of these organizations. And you could just tell by looking at them, I agree with what you guys were saying. At one point, it seemed like Marty Jannetty early on was going to be the – if they were to break up, you could see him having success. But there was something about Shawn Michaels throughout the years that just started standing out even within the tech team itself. So I think a lot of that is Shawn was a much better politician, uh, honestly, than, than Marty, um, which is probably why Shawn made a better heel in the end of the day. Um, but uh, how outstanding – what are your, your thoughts of the uh, Midnight Rockers? All right. Well, uh, the Midnight Rockers are arguably one of my favorite teams and arguably probably one of the best teams in my personal and uh, humble opinion. Not so humble Not so opinion. Humble. Yeah. Not so humble. So humble. But uh, what I really liked about them, and uh, you guys kind of hit on it too, is that when they really formed – Sean, uh, spelled S-E-A-N, uh, during his debut, not S-H-A-W-N. Uh, he was pretty much cutting his teeth in the business, um, very new. He had had a couple, uh, short-haired single matches beforehand, uh, but he was relatively a new face when they really started kicking off. And so he, uh, he learned a lot from Marty. Uh, Marty, again, you guys hit on it earlier as well, uh, very sound and definitely had a, the total package of being a, a smaller guy breaking in. Um, but yeah, working together, uh, it almost was kind of like wrestling the same guy. I think Marty had a little bit more power, uh, than Shawn Michaels, uh, in some of the matches. Um, uh, watching them against the Midnight Express earlier with, uh, Polly dangerously on yep. the outside in the Midnight Rock in the Midnight Express. Yep. He, uh, they, they, they just had so much fluidity in, in everything they did, whether it was a working hold, a headlock to a, to a, to an Irish whip. Uh, everything just looks smooth. And yeah, as soon as you tag the other guy in, it just goes right into the next headlock and you're pretty much fighting the same guy. Neither one gets tired. Kind of what we were talking about earlier and what mm-hmm. makes a good tag team. And I just saw a lot of that. And uh, yeah, I talked about like the, the flippy stuff and the high flying. Sure. It's not necessarily the, uh, the craziness that you see nowadays. Um, but you would still see Marty Gennetti, you know, hopping off on the on the ropes, jumping from uh, from his feet to his hips, and then doing into a an arm drag. And at that time, you know, unless you were watching Mexican or Puerto Rican wrestling, you probably didn't see that. And uh, that's one of the main reasons I really got into uh, Shawn Michaels as a as a fanboy uh, to see both of them working together. And yeah, just everything they did, they they outclassed whoever they were wrestling, bigger or smaller. 
Yeah, I know for me, my, my memories of them was, was as a little kid. I, I was able to watch them when they, when they first came in the WWF because um, I, I really didn't follow any of the territory stuff uh, in Wyoming, South Dakota. They just didn't get that stuff on TV. So um, all we really had to watch was, was WWF. And so I remember, you know, seeing, seeing these guys when they came in and you had the, you, you know, you, the, the only thing really different about the two guys is one had blonde hair one had brown hair. Otherwise... You know, I always felt like, oh, they're they're pretty similar guys. Doing some doing some more studying on it, like watching more and more of the matches today. Janetti was really funny, and he would do some things on the outside of the ring that that made me laugh that I didn't expect to happen in like the mid '80s. Like um, the in that same match you were talking about with, with Polly and the Midnight Express, the one guy from Midnight Express goes over there and they had just did the like an atomic drop on him like two or three times between him and Sean. And he goes over toward the toward the corner, and he ends up over by where the rockers are. So Janetti reaches out there and like smacks him on his butt, and yep. <laughs> the, and, and and the guy like totally oversold it. You know, was all pissed off about it, and, and went back over to his corner. But Janetti was notorious for doing things like that. Or like there was a match I was watching where Sean was wrestling a singles match, and Janetti's on the outside. Janetti's got these crazy looking freaking glasses on, like the craziest looking sunglasses I ever seen. And uh, just little things like that. To me, he was he was just really entertaining then. And watching the stuff through the through the eighties, it was it was really fun to watch. Um, I think that what sets them what set them apart as a tag team was when again the, the same interview when they're talking to Marty Jannetty. They said, "What makes you guys, you know, want to do these moves?" What made? And they said, "Well, we have to do these moves." And they said, "Well, why?" And they said, "Well, how else are we going to beat guys that are that outweigh us by fifty, sixty pounds?" You know, how else are we going to beat guys that, that are much, much stronger than we are? We have to be faster, we have to be more energetic, and we have to use these moves that can surprise them and catch them off guard because they never see them. Everything um, makes sense. Yeah, and and I just totally thought that that was, that was one of the best answers. And I, I love that Janetti used to do the thing where he, where he would run up, he, he would run to the corner, kick himself off the... Uh, off the second rope, sometimes off the top rope, and then he would do that flying crossbody, and I think that that was one of his best moves um, that he had in his repertoire, and he used it as a singles wrestler too. Um, but uh, so we sort of got some insight into what both teams were like. If these two teams were paired together in a match, I think it's safe to say that you'd have the Rockers as, as your faces and, and the Bucks as your heels, and you could really do something with that. But who do you think wins, Patrick? If you were if if you were looking at these two tag teams and and they and they were going at it, who do, who do you think would who do you think would be the better tag team? If you put the Rockers in their prime against the Young Bucks in their prime, I would probably go with the Rockers to be honest with you, because I mean the Bucks seem to be fully in that showboating mode at all times, whereas I think the Rockers if when it came down to a more serious encounter, I think they could get down to business, and I think that would make the difference. Okay, yeah, that's definitely a good a good take on it. Cedric, what do you think? I think the Chris Rockers would probably. Um... <laughs> <laughs> that's the uh, that's the Chris Express, right? That's the same thing, but anyway, continue. Pretty much, but um, I I agree with um with what Patrick is saying. I think that. If you were to face both teams and, and give noticing that the young the young bucks are still getting to that point where they they can reach their prime, they they still have so much more 
to to learn and definitely a change in attitude will definitely open more doors I, I, in my in my opinion and, and make them even better but just seeing them prime to prime I think the Rockets would also win I, I could see the just like you mentioned I could see these so-called quote-unquote hard-hitting spots that the Bucks are notorious for I could see the definitely one thing that I noticed in 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 the videos, Sean and Marty and Marty Genetic can definitely sell a hit. That was one thing that I noticed. They would definitely mm-hmm. sell a good hit. So I could see them selling it. I could see them kicking out. But at the end of the day, something else that Huck Stanley mentioned, so did you, Rasquash, was their body types. The Rockers, in my opinion, were bulkier compared yeah. to the so they to me the that advantage and strength I think would would lead the Rockers to a victory. That's just the wise old Owl's opinion. What about you, Hope? Well, this might be the first match in history where the Rockers actually are bigger than their opponents. Uh, both those guys, uh, right around 200 pounds. Uh, the Young Bucks, maybe 170, 180 pounds soaking wet. Um, so they're much smaller. Um, in my opinion, I think the best way for the Young Bucks to have a chance at winning this match is space. If they can stay far enough away from that headlock or from one of those working holds, they're going to have a chance to unleash a pretty awesome arsenal. And you're going to see a lot of really awesome spots, a lot of high-flying moves, jumping uh, suicide dives. Uh, a lot of really neat stuff can happen. But like I mentioned earlier, uh, watching a lot of the, the Rockers' earlier matches, they don't give you space if they can afford it. If they're not jumping off the rope, they got you in a headlock or they got you in an arm hold and, and they're wearing you down both physically and mentally so that you can't create space. And to me, that's going to be the biggest change between these two. And I'll definitely give the advantage to the rockers, uh, whether it's a super kick to a super kick, reverse a super kick and then give another super kick because we both know both of these guys are famous for super kick, super kick, super kick and super kick. Super kick uh, party. But anyway, super kick ahead. party. Uh, but yeah, that's what this match. <laughs> pretty much would probably end up being um and uh i gotta give it to the rockers uh uh i just think they're more technically sound and as you mentioned earlier my liege king rasquatch Mm -hmm. uh you know the the young bucks definitely are coming into their own over the last couple years i haven't seen a lot of their matches where they utilize more transitions and more chain wrestling um but I, i don't doubt that they definitely have the tools and they have the potential to be to be arguably one of the best down the road i just don't quite think they're there yet so from what i've seen of them uh, i definitely give the advantage to the rockers yeah i think that that that's crazy it's um it's fixing up to possibly be clean a clean sweep here um my opinion on this uh first of all Shawn michaels was billed at, at 235 so although he was a, s- a smaller guy i mean that we're talking maybe a 50 pound advantage over well, you know, for Nick and, and Matt, um, you mentioned them not wanting to give space and, and being so fast, but in comparison to the Young Bucks, they're they're really not that. They they were fast, but they weren't nearly as fast as the Young Bucks were. So I think the Young Bucks could do a good job of, of sort of maintaining and keeping that space in the tag teams. Um, honestly, uh, I think it depends on some could depend some on the ways the rules of the a match and the way that they're set up and how much leeway teams get and, and that type of thing in, in, in the, the actual tag match itself because if there's one thing I think the Young Bucks do would do a lot better than the Rockers and that's 
the use of foreign objects, the use of uh, objects outside of the ring, um, any anything and everything that they could get their hands on, they they can be dangerous with, and that's something that I don't think that the the Rockers would necessarily be ready for and or used to uh, in the style of wrestling that they did. Now, if it's a typical tag team match where none of that stuff's allowed, then yeah, I think I think the Rockers are going to beat them. Either they're either the Young Bucks are going to get disqualified, or they're just not going to be able to do enough to put Marty or or Sean away. But if it was some other type of match where was more of an anything goes type thing then i think the young bucks have a uh, distinct advantage and i think they they could win in a match like that um, or they could have the bullet club interfere on their behalf in that regard <laughs> yep that's also true and say so they also have the uh, they also have their the rest of their faction um that that could come in and also assist them in winning so good discussion yeah, before diesel came in huh yeah 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 absolutely because the the rockers broke up um, at the end of 91, going into 92, because the, the 1992 Royal Rumble was the first year Shawn Michaels was, was by himself as a, really as a singles competitor and starting to get that, that singles push. And it, it wasn't that long after he had ran Marty Jannetty through that, uh, barbershop window in that iconic, uh, heel turn, one of the best ones of all time. Super kick! <laughs> but, um, well, it was a crescent kick back then. Um, right. but, uh, yeah, this is a, a, a great discussion. And do you think any any of your opinions have been changed by by anyone else's discussion? No, not so not so much changed, but you know, you got each one of you brought something to the table that you know puts things into perspective. But one last thing that I'll mention in it about the Young Bucks, I watched a match between them and the Dudley Boys for the two CWs um, championship. Where after so many spots and after so many moves, they just ended up winning with a roll-up. Uh, I think uh, Matt, or which the the blonde one, right now in my mind, he just rolled up um, Diva, and that was the end of the match. And uh, I actually appreciated almost like passing the torch from the Dudley. The at at the time they were three, Team 3D, just saying you know these guys might not be the the norm, but neither were we 20 years ago. And it is what it is. You know, this is the future of tag team wrestling. And I think, like, everybody pretty much has agreed. You know, they still have a little few things to learn and to accept. But they are they're getting up there. So I just wanted to share that with you guys. It's awesome. Well, we had a, uh, it was a fantastic time, fantastic show. We're right at about an hour and 20 minutes. It's sort of right in our wheelhouse. Uh, Patrick, why don't you... Uh, Go ahead and let, and let everyone know uh, what you got going on here in the near future. Go ahead and get, get your plugs in if you'd like. Well, sure. I'm going to be hosting tonight at Hey Guys Comedy in Fairview Heights. The headliner is Dwight York, the king of one-liners. Feature act is A.J. Finney, both very funny guys. I just saw him last night. Showtimes are at 8 and 10 o'clock coming up this coming week. Uh, I'm waiting to find out if I'm going to be on the list for the open mic night on Tuesday night at the Helium Comedy Club. That's a new club that just opened up in the St. Louis Galleria. If I don't make the list there, I'll probably head out to Westport Bunny Bone for their open mic night. Both showtimes are at 8 o'clock for those shows. And as far as independent wrestling around here, there's nothing tonight, amazingly enough. There's Metro Pro out in Kansas City. And in the upcoming weeks, I believe Dynamo Pro has a show next Saturday night in Fenton. So that'll probably be next up as far as independent wrestling goes for me um and if somebody wanted to uh to take a look at at, 
and how funny you were and, and a place to see you do your, your stand-up comedy. Is there any way they could do that? Well, they can look me up on social media, either Twitter or Facebook, at PatrickAB7. You can punch my name into YouTube and come up with a couple of comedy clips that are on my YouTube channel. Just just my name, Patrick, B-R-A-N-D-M-E-Y-E-R, and you can come up with a couple of recent clips of my stand-up comedy. Well, it has been it has been great having you, and it's always nice to have someone uh, that that's knowledgeable about the uh, about the professional wrestling business. And we've definitely enjoyed having you uh, having you on the show with us. Uh, I guess un- until next time, this is uh, the Rasquatch. Going to be signing off for the wise old owl of professional wrestling, Cedric Cone, and the man of two thousand six hundred and forty two nicknames, Lee. I'm going to have to write these down. Yeah. Have, <laughs> have an outstanding day, and uh, we hope to uh, you listen again. Again, fact check us. Give us some feedback. Tell us what you think. Till next time, Court's Dismissed. Jobber's Court presents Blooper Reel. Should be well, fun. We do need a good nickname, because without a good nickname, you, you can't be a part of this. Son Patrick. I had it already. I was going to call him Funny Man Patrick. I mean, he is a comedian. Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't really have anything like that. Uh, most I have is just going by my initials PB. I know a couple people that refer to me like that. So, so like peanut butter. Peanut butter peanut Patrick. Butter. Something like that. <laughs> well, peanut I'm gonna, butter like, Cedric time. Peanut butter Cedric time. I'm going to make sure everyone knows that you are a world-renowned comedian. Um. Well, half of that's right. I'm a comedian. <laughs> well, I figure it goes one of two ways. Either you're super funny, right, and it blows everybody away, or if you're not, then it's kind of one of those nicknames where people are like, oh, I get it. It's like a reverse nickname. I'm, I'm in this division. Oh, he did, he did, he did it again. We've lost him. Uh-oh. Oh, this happens, this happens every episode. i got to edit Come it out. Come back to us. Is it a fish? Finally. Thing? Sorry, I was having uh, some issues with my hot computer again. You were the worst. Um, <laughs> you sorry. Of my... <laughs> anyway, continue. Yeah. Cedric may be the uh, the wise old owl of wrestling, but uh, I'm the I'm the old man when it comes to working anything electronic. Uh, I, bad. I, I swear to God, you're the, the least computer literate person I've ever met. Yeah, I don't even own my own computer. <laughs> that's, that's how bad I am. But, uh, uh, all right, so as I was saying, uh, funny time is over. So now please enjoy a song called Pearl by the Medieval Babes. They're pretty awesome. They do burn and terror of down and dayless, of water and water and will on plainness. Build a in may please abated me bailers, forbidden me stress, destroyed me painers. Down after a stream that rightly hallays, he bowed in lees, bread for me brainers. Take fear and he followed those floaty valleys, the more strength of joy and inheritance strainers. As fortune affair as there as so fainous, were the solace so sender, other ellis sorer, 
Tenth, the letter of the.